Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. Take out your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 15. And uh, when you get there, stand to your feet. And we'll do it together in unity. Luke 15, lift your Bible in the air. Say along with me. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught the word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. My mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. God, I pray for your anointing over your word today. Lord, there's a message here, not just for certain individuals. There's a message here for all of us. Wherever we stand, wherever we are in our relationship with you, God, there's a message for all of us. And Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be in tune to it. God, don't allow anyone to leave the church building today without having been touched by your word and having heard from you. Father, I pray your anointing over the word as it goes out, and God, might it accomplish exactly what you send it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In Luke chapter 15 here, Jesus spoke uh, to his disciples the parable of a lost sheep. Now, I want you to remember those three vital words, a lost sheep. I believe that there's been great injustice done to this passage over the years, which has resulted in a misunderstanding of the text and the intent of this story. Sometimes our perspective on the Bible message gets distorted by what we have heard rather than being shaped by what we have read. There's a tendency in America today to put more credence in the words and the opinions of people than in the infallible, everlasting Word of God. Even within the church, opinions are formed and sides are chosen, and God's people are being divided over issues and events because some value traditions and emotions and opinions over what the Bible teaches We have heard and we have been taught many things that sound like the Bible, but simply aren't the Word of God. Things like, God helps those who help themselves. 
Sounds like Bible, but it's not Bible, but it's a quote by Sidney Algernon in his Discourses of Government, and it was also quoted by Benjamin Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac. Cleanliness is next to godliness. My mom used to use this on me growing up to get me to take a bath. Cleanliness is next to God. Jim, get in the tub because cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in there because I look. I might have been 10, 12 years old, but I spent a lot of time in the Bible looking for it. It's not there. Actually, it's a quote from Francis Bacon. It was later used by John Wesley in a sermon in 1791. God moves in mysterious ways. We've all heard that, but it's not Bible. But it was first penned by William Copper, who was a British poet in a hymnist. We hear things, and maybe we've even been taught things that sound like they're from the Bible, and the things that we have heard have shaped or they have misshapen our perspective on the truth of the Word of God. We have to be careful when someone says, the Bible says this, and then they begin to quote something that sounds like Scripture, we need to make certain that the Bible actually says it. An amen belongs there. I want to speak to one of those misunderstandings today, and it has to do with this particular parable. First of all, let me say this. There are, there are some people in the world today who want nothing to do with God. They profess that they don't believe in God, and they don't believe in the Bible as being the Word of God. They're living in sin, and they prefer to do so. They reject Jesus as their Messiah. They reject his vicarious death on the cross and his bodily resurrection from the grave, and they deny his coming judgment. They're living in sin, and their eternal destiny is going to be hell because that's what they have chosen. This parable is not about them, okay? There are others who have known the love of God, but have wandered away from God, who are under the impression that God is now obligated to come searching for them and bring them back. They believe that it's up to God to pursue them, that he has to track them down and rescue them from their rebellious state and bring them back into the fold, but that's not what this text teaches either. If you've intentionally left the Lord, if you've turned your back on God and wandered back into your sin, thinking that when God wants you, he'll just come and get you, you are gravely mistaken. But if you have never known the Lord, you've never known God's love, you've never known the life that Jesus can give you, but you want to be in the fold, this story, this parable is for you. Now, allow me to set the context. The context of Scripture is very important. There, there are some people who try to make their point by pulling a few verses out of the Bible and then plugging them into their agenda. They will say to you, the Bible says this, and then they will quote a couple of sentences from the Word of God. But what the Scripture is saying and the point that they're trying to make is two entirely different things. They will tell you that as a believer, if you have enough faith, you can let, get God to do anything for you, and they will quote a scripture. They'll tell you that God wants all of his children to be healthy and rich, and then they will quote a scripture. They will talk to you about the Holy Spirit. They'll talk to you about heaven. They'll talk to you about alcohol. They will talk to you about homosexuality. They'll talk to you about revival and a myriad of other things, and then they will quote a scripture. They will tell you what you need to believe and what you need to do, and they will quote some Bible verses, but they're quoting the Word of God out of context. When you quote the word, never misspeak on God's behalf. 
Don't tell people something that God has said when God has not said it. Make certain that the context is always correct and that you're rightly dividing God's word of truth. Don't be so stuck in your traditions or so swayed by popular opinion or so stubborn that you refuse to clear the clear truth of the Bible. The Scripture says the tax collectors and sinners had gathered around to hear Jesus speak. Now, I want you to notice who Jesus is speaking to here. I want you to notice who his audience is. He wasn't speaking at the local church. He wasn't preaching to the choir, but he was speaking to tax collectors and sinners. Now, I thought that it was kind of funny, seeing that this is now income tax time. Before I go on, are there any IRS agents here? Just checking, because I don't want to be audited. I thought that it was kind of funny that God put tax collectors and sinners in the same company, and yet he was still discerning enough to distinguish one group from the other. Evidently, the tax collectors didn't want to be associated with the sinners, and the sinners didn't want to be associated with the tax collectors. The text also mentions that Jesus was eating with them. This is significant because it's something that would have been frowned upon in the Hebrew community. So seeing what was happening, Jesus talking and eating with tax collectors and sinners, verse 2 says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law murmured. They were criticizing Jesus for dining with sinners. He was eating with people who had a bad reputation. There was no doubt as to what kind of people they were, but Jesus was sitting down to share a meal with them anyway. He was eating with them so he could speak to them. In the Hebrew culture, a man dared not eat with anyone that he didn't identify with. He didn't dine with anyone who was socially, uh, ethically, or morally lower than himself. The dinner table was reserved for a man's peers and his equals. If you were a Pharisee, you ate with the Pharisees. If you were a tax collector, you ate with the tax collectors. If you thought you belonged at the A table, you didn't sit down to eat with the losers who were dining at the B table. And yet here Jesus was sharing a meal with sinners. He was eating lunch with people who are identified by their flaws and known by their sins. Jesus was purposely dining with people that he knew were lost and living in sin. There sat the town drunk. On this side of the table was the local prostitute. On the other side of the table was the petty thief and the embezzler. It was a who's who of the worst people in the community, and yet Jesus chose to dine with these people because he was gathering his lost sheep. Sometimes we assume, and we wrongly assume, that people who are living in sin want to be where they are. Some do. But there are many others who would love to change who they are and where they are and what they're doing. They just don't know how. They don't know how to get out. They have been in their mess for so long, they're so accustomed to it, so used to it, that they have no idea how to escape from it. Jesus wasn't concerned about what people thought. Now, before you pick that up and run with it, I don't mean that he did as he pleased, whether it was right or wrong. There's some today who don't care what people think, and they really should. 
Your testimony, your reputation is always on display. Whether you go and whatever you do, you will always leave an impression on the people that see you. As a believer, there are some places that you don't need to go. There are some things that you shouldn't be doing, and there are some people that you don't need to be hanging around with because you know as well as I do that you are not there to be a missionary, but you're there to do what they're doing. As a believer, there are some situations that you shouldn't put yourself in because you know and God knows that when you're in that place and with that crowd, you're not there to be a witness to them, but you're there to be a participant. You're not hanging with that crowd to share the gospel and to bring lost sheep into the kingdom. You're not there to tell them about Jesus, the great shepherd, and how much he loves them, but you are there because you're living in the flesh and you want to appease your flesh, and there's a big difference between that and what Jesus was doing here. Jesus chose to eat with the lower echelon of society because he knew his purpose. He didn't care about his image or his approval rating because he knew who he was and he knew his mission. Jesus chose to dine with these particular people, not because he wanted to be like them, but because he wanted to affect them. Christian, do you affect your atmosphere? Do you display Christ in your words and in your actions? Do you affect the people that you come in contact with? Does the climate change when you walk into a room? It should. It should. You walk into a place and people ought to know who you are and what you stand for. I believe in divine appointment. Do you? I believe in divine appointment. I'm convinced that if God puts somebody in my path, it's on purpose. And he intends for us to meet so I can tell them about him. A few years ago, Lisa and I were Christmas shopping. Well, she was Christmas shopping. I was killing time. But uh, we were shopping in a particular store when a young man who had made himself up to look like a young woman came passing by me. He worked as a sales clerk at the store that we were shopping in. Now, my first reaction was shock. I'm the older generation, and we're not used to this stuff, okay? I remember sitting in in Meyer store in uh, Fort Wayne several years ago. I'm sitting on the bench because that's what I do. Um, just inside of the door, when in walked uh, somebody, a, a man about 6'2", um, in a skirt, blouse, and high-heeled red pumps. He caught me off guard. I looked up and I saw him and I went, <laughs> oh, Let me tell you something. If he was, would have been born a woman, he would still be single because there wouldn't have been a man in the world who would have married him. But anyhow, here this guy come by me, and my first reaction was shock, and then I got a bit angry. I thought, well, I bet his parents are proud. And then I wondered, why would this store hire him? So my first response was to ignore him, to write him off, and to just go on with what I was doing. I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of knowing that I noticed. I'm being honest with you here. My first response was not what it should have been. As I tried to walk away, the Holy Spirit began speaking to me. He said, that young man needs me. He's lost, and he's confused but he is no more lost 
than anyone else. And somebody needs to let him know that I love him. You hear what I'm saying? He is no more lost than anyone else. He's no more lost than somebody's husband or somebody's wife. He's no more lost than your wandering child. He is no more lost than that homeless person that you feel sorry for. He is no more lost than anyone else. Church, we need to know our mission. We've been commissioned to reach our world that's without Christ. Now, some will say that it's a mission impossible because uh, our world is so far removed from God and so many people seem to be hopelessly enslaved by sin. But God has guaranteed us that if we let our light shine, if we show the love of Jesus through our actions and through our words and share the good news of the gospel with those who need to hear it, the word of God can turn our world to him one soul at a time. I want you to know that I went back to that store later on that week and I finished what I should have taken care of the first time. We're to affect the people that God puts in our path and let them know that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and that he rose again to break sin's curse and give them a new hope and a new life. Christian, know who you are and know your mission. When the Pharisees and scribes saw Jesus dining with sinners, they murmured among themselves. Now, the word murmur means an unnatural sound. A murmur is a sound that doesn't belong. When a doctor listens to your heart with a stethoscope and he tells you that he has heard a murmur, he's telling you that he has heard an unnatural sound. He's heard a sound that he shouldn't be hearing. He's heard a sound that tells him that there is something seriously wrong with your heart. The scribes and Pharisees were making a sound that they shouldn't have been making. They were making a sound that shouldn't be heard coming out of the mouth of a child of God, but there was something wrong with their heart. They were gossips. They were saying this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them, and they accused Jesus of defiling himself by befriending those who were at the bottom of the social ladder and that he was debasing the dinner table by sharing food with the same. How dare Jesus do such a thing? Sometimes in our pursuit of holiness, we forget about our purpose. We become like the Pharisees. We get so concerned with being religious that we begin thinking of ourselves higher than we ought to think and better than those who don't know Christ. Forgetting that we too were sinners who were saved only by the grace of God and that those that we are condemning are no more lost than we were. Even though Jesus was the Son of God, he's still associated with the sons of men. Even though he was perfect, he still ministered to those who were imperfect. Even though he was holy, he wasn't afraid to touch those who were unholy. Even though he was good, he wasn't too good to extend grace to those who needed him. The Pharisees murmured, and the words of their mouth exposed the condition of their heart. Do the words that you speak betray your testimony? It it, it frustrates me to no end when I will see a so-called believer post something scripture or whatever on Facebook and how they love Jesus and all that, and then a day later you will read and they will have posted something with a vulgar language, a terrible picture. Just frustrates me to death. What are people thinking of us? Do the words that you speak betray your testimony? What, What do you say in private? Who do you talk about? Do you ridicule the church? Do you condemn your pastors? Are you the reason that people who could be saved are avoiding the church and they're not hearing the gospel? Are they not here on Sunday morning because of something that you have said? 
As Jimmy said last week, are you standing in the doorway blocking people who would be coming in? The Word of God says that Jesus knew the thoughts. Now, Jesus always knows your thoughts. You might be saying one thing, but Jesus knows what you're thinking. You might be promising something, but Jesus knows that you're planning something else. You can't lie to God. God hears your thoughts like he hears your speech. He understands your motives, and he knows when you have an agenda. He's aware of what you're planning when you've convinced yourself that you intend to do something else. God knows your thoughts. He knows when you're being a hypocrite. He knows when you're being two-faced. He knows when you're acting like you're concerned, but you're just trying to tear somebody else down. He knows when you're setting someone up for a fall. God knows when you're being a Pharisee. You can lie to your husband, and you can lie to your wife, and you can lie to the pastor, but you can't lie to God because God knows what you're thinking. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. His mission was to rescue those who were lost in sin and bring them into the family of God. And that is also the purpose of the church. Our mission is to bring into the family of God those who are lost. Our job is to go out into the highways and the hedges. Why? Because the lost people are out there. The lost people are out there and preach the good news that Jesus saves and he forgives and he restores. Our mission is to find that one who is furthest from God, that one who has a reputation, that one who is so far gone that everyone else has given up on them and bring them into the family of God. If you hate your past and you want a new start in life, Jesus is who you're looking for. He knows where you've been, but, he, and he, but he's more concerned about where you're going. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care what you've acted like. He doesn't care about your reputation. He doesn't care uh, if the people around you think that you're a lost cause because you are no more lost than anyone else. Jesus can save anybody. If you need help and you need hope, Jesus is who you're looking for, and our job as God's church is to come and get you. Church, our mission is to find the lost sheep and bring them to the fold. But our mission is not to continually plead with and try to corral those who were inside but have chosen to go back outside. Are you listening to what I'm telling you? This is 40-some years of pastoral experience talking to you right now. When God called me to pastor this church, he didn't commission me to babysit you. He didn't call me to call to you and to make sure that your feelings didn't get hurt, but God called me to equip you and to educate you and then motivate you so you can get up and go out of the church and into the world and bring in his lost sheep. Church, how can we reach those who don't know Christ if we're constantly preoccupied babysitting those who already are supposed to know him? If you're a born-again child of God, we shouldn't have to come looking for you. We shouldn't have to wonder where you are. We shouldn't have to ask, well, where's George? I haven't seen George in a while. Or where's Sally? She hasn't been in church for months. If you're a part of God's family, we shouldn't have to worry about you. God hasn't called his church to a maintenance ministry, but he has called us to be evangelists to those who don't know him and then disciple them once they're inside of the church. We can't accomplish our mission if we are preoccupied with those who are already in the kingdom. And some people are taking way too much of God's time. We do care for those who are inside of the church. We're a family here. We're, we're the family of God. And just like any other family, we've got flaws and we, we make mistakes, but we're still family. You know, when it comes to family, you, know, you can say what you want about your family, but don't let the neighbor say it. 
You know, don't let, we are family. But God's church isn't a cruise ship or a luxury liner. It's a battleship, and it's on a rescue mission. We're not here to wine and dine those who are on the inside and neglect those who are drowning on the outside. How can we reach those who don't know Christ if we're constantly chasing after those who are already supposed to know him? Well, pastor, somebody offended me. Somebody hurt my feelings, so I'm just going to quit the church. Bye. Bye. Don't let the glass doors hit you in the backside on your way out. Jesus never chased anybody. If you didn't want what he had, see ya. See ya. Jesus knew the thoughts, so he spoke to them this parable. That's the context. All of that I gave you, that's the context. That's why Jesus spoke this parable. He spoke a parable. He spoke in a form of a story so that everybody in his audience could relate. Everybody loves a good story. He began his parable by saying, which man of you, right, right at the beginning, he made this story personal. He provoked the listeners to put themselves into the story so they could see his message through their own experiences. He said, which man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? But here's our first misunderstanding of this text. Jesus died on the cross, and he resurrected from the grave for the sins of all men. There was no one excluded from his sacrifice. Through Adam, all mankind fell under the curse of sin, and through Jesus, all of mankind is redeemed. But pay close attention here. Don't leave, don't leave me yet. Jesus paid for all sin. He paid the price to break the curse for every man, woman, boy, and girl that has ever or shall ever live. He paid for the young and the old. He paid for the good and the bad. He paid for the Christian and the Muslim and the Hindu, the American, the Jew, and the Arab. Jesus died and rose again for the sins of all men. Now, I've heard it preached and taught many times that when somebody gets saved, that God writes their name into his book of life. When I was a child, we used to sing a hymn in our church that said, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And a white-robed angel sing the story, a sinner has come home. It was a beautiful song, but it was poor theology. Nowhere in the scriptures does it speak of God writing someone's name into the book of life. It does tell us that names are written into the book of life, and it speaks of who, those whose names are written in the book of life, but nowhere does it speak of God at the moment of salvation writing someone's name into his book of life. It does, however, refer to names being blotted out of the book of life. In Exodus 32, Moses prayed for forgiveness for the sins of Israel, and he asked if God would not forgive them to blot his name out of the book. In Revelation 3, 5, God said, He that overcomes shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. What this means is we are all God's sheep. We've all been bought and paid for. We're, uh, some are good sheep, some are bad sheep, but we're all his sheep, and we all belong to him. There might be black sheep and white sheep and big sheep and little sheep and fat sheep and skinny sheep and pretty sheep and ugly sheep. They're obedient sheep, they're rebellious sheep, but we're all God's sheep. We're either lost sheep or we are saved sheep. But we have all been bought by Jesus' blood. We are listed on the bill of sale. All of our names are written in the book of life. 
We're not written into the book of life when we surrender to him and are forgiven and saved from our sin, but we have already been written into the book when God spoke our life into existence. Jesus paid for us all. He made equal payment for us all. He broke the curse for us all, and we are all his sheep. Now, hold on. You might think that you're not good enough. The devil might have convinced you that you so dirtied yourself with sin that God wants nothing to do with you. But I want you to understand today that before you started down that rebellious road, before you ever committed your first sin, before you got yourself into the mess that you're now in and don't know how to get out of, God already wrote you in as one of his own. Jesus has already paid your debt. He's already bought you with a price. He has already written your name into his book of life. You may not know it, but you're his. You might not believe it, but you're his. You may have never followed him or served him or loved him, but you're still his because he paid for you. But here's what I want you to understand. We are all his sheep, but let's not assume, let's not assume that this sheep was a righteous sheep. Pay attention here. I don't want to lose you. Some of you are convinced that, that God is obligated to come after you. You think that you can just stay where you are and keep doing what you're doing until God shows up, and if he doesn't show up, then it's not your fault because God didn't care enough about you to pursue you. You're convinced that you can blame God and you can blame the preacher and you can blame the church for staying in the mess that you're in. You will whine and complain, if somebody cared enough about me, they would be here. If the church was the kind of church it ought to be, then somebody would be on my doorstep. If God really loved me, then he would come and get me. And if that's your attitude, then it's also a revelation of your spiritual state. Those who belong to Jesus want to be with Jesus. Those who love Jesus want to be with Jesus. Those who love God want to be in his presence. They want to worship him and serve him and learn from him. If you say that you're a Christian, but you're not in church and around God's people, you're lying because those who belong to Jesus want to be with Jesus. If you don't have the urge or the desire to be in God's house with God's people and about God's business, it's a great revelation of the condition of your heart. So don't assume that this was a righteous sheep because you would be wrong, as our text will soon prove here. In chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's a very important word there. Jesus sees that lost sinner as his own. He sees that lost sheep as one of his, but it is still a lost sheep. Okay? No shepherd would pursue a sheep that wasn't his own. No good shepherd would risk life and limb to climb down a hillside or to repel down a cliff to save somebody else's sheep. No good shepherd worth his salt would abandon the 99 sheep that are already in his fold to go looking for a sheep that belonged to somebody else. This was his sheep, but this sheep was lost. The very idea that this sheep was that this sheep didn't want to be where he was. He was lost. You understand what I'm saying here? His desire was to be in the fold with the other sheep and to be cared for by the shepherd, but he didn't know where they were, and he didn't know the way, or he would have come to them. He was lost. There are many people today who are lost, but they're taking directions from the wrong people. They're, some are telling them, you need to go this way, and they're turning down the wrong road. They're turning down the road of immorality. They're turning down the road of homosexuality. They're turning down the road of alcoholism and drugs, but they're still lost. 
They're still not in the fold because they're down, traveling down the wrong road. Some have turned to the road of religion. They've taken classes and observed rituals, and their name is written on the membership book, but their name is in the wrong book. This lost sheep didn't know how to get to the fold. He was lost. He had no idea which direction to go. He was frightened, and he was confused because he was lost, and he did not want to be lost. He didn't want to be where he was. He knew that where he was was dangerous. He knew that where he was, there were forces around him that wanted to destroy him. He knew that if he stayed where he was, that he didn't stand a chance of survival, and he wanted to be in the fold, but he didn't know how to get there. Maybe that's where you are today. Uh, you're lost. And you don't want to be lost anymore. You, you would like to come into the fold, but you don't even know where to begin. You can't find your direction, and you're uncertain of which way to go. You're weary, and you're hungry, and you're thirsting for the provision of God in your life, but you're lost, and nobody is looking for you. The sheep was lost, so the shepherd came to him. The good shepherd left his 99 sheep to go looking for the lost one. The shepherd came to him. There was one rule that we taught our children when they were growing up, and that was if you ever get lost, just stay where you are until we find you. Some of you heard this story before. When Jimmy was about six or seven years old, we were vacationing in Myrtle Beach. And one evening we were at the pavilion. Uh, it's kind of a fair type thing. There was an amusement park there, and it was very busy. A lot of people, very close quarters. Well, Jimmy had a tendency to wander. You'd tell him something, but it wasn't always something in there to stop it from coming out the other ear on the other side. So we specifically told him, Jimmy, stay close. But he never did listen very good. I used to think about how many ways this kind of could have gone wrong. In this evil world, there are people who prey on innocent children. And many times, you know, what if ran through my mind? What if we can't find him? What if the stranger took him? But God was watching out for Jimmy there. A man saw him, and he knew by the look on his face that he was lost. So he said to him, stay right here and don't move and let them find you. And as you can see, we found him. See how difficult it was to get here to be a pastor? You know? If you're lost, you don't have it in you to get to God. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough faith. You don't even know which way to go. Just stay where you are. Cry out to him, and he'll find you. He'll hear you, and he'll come to you. In the Gospels of Mark and Luke, when Jesus stepped off of the boat at Gadara, there was a lost man crying in the tombs, and Jesus sensed his spirit in his spirit where this man was. Nobody else heard his cries. But Jesus knew where to find him because Jesus heard him. That's the Savior's heart is in tune with those who need him and want to know him. Jesus heard his cries, and he went to that man. You may be lost and hurting in your soul, but cry out to God, and he'll hear you, and he'll find you. Having found him, the Scripture says, the shepherd picked the lost sheep up on his broad shoulders and carried him home rejoicing. You may be too weak or too broken to make it yourself. Your life's energy may be too far spent to get from where you are to where you want to be, but don't worry about it. Jesus will pick you up, and he'll carry you home. Just call out to him. And when he brings you home, the Bible says all of heaven will rejoice. He called together all of his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I found my sheep which was lost. 
But this is the, another verse that I want you to pay attention to here. He said, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. This parable was about a lost sheep that wanted to be in the fold. There's a grand difference between a lost sheep that wants to be found and a lost sheep that wants to remain lost. As I said at the beginning of my message, some people are living in sin because they choose to. They want nothing to do with God, and they're content. They're lost, but they choose to be lost. Even though the payment for their sin has been made in full, they have rejected the blood of Jesus. And in rejecting Christ, they will pay eternally in hell for their own sin. But there's also a grand difference between a lost sheep and a runaway. A lost sheep doesn't know where he is and he longs to be among the fold, but a runaway sheep is a sheep with a plan. A runaway is somebody who has known the touch of the shepherd, but who has purposely left the fold. When you run away from God, it's intentional. When you, you backslide, you've run away from God on purpose. And if you have intentionally left the fold, you need to understand that God is under no obligation to come and find you. You're not lost. You're just a runaway, and it's up to you to come home. When you're a runaway, your story isn't that of the lost sheep. It's the story of the prodigal son. The father of the prodigal son didn't go looking for his son. He didn't send him comfort or supply, but he allowed the consequences of his sin to eat him up until he had nothing left. And then when he was without friends, living in a hog pen and ready to eat the slop that was meant for the pigs, he came to his senses, and the Bible says, he said, I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and against my father, and I'm not even worthy to be called his son. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I will get up from where I am, and I will go to him. The prodigal son knew where to go. He knew where home was. He wasn't lost. He was just a runaway. If you're a runaway, don't expect God to come looking for you. He knows where you are, and he knows what's going on with you, but you ran away, and you're the one that has to come home. If you're a runaway, you have been, you've been rebellious and you've wandered back into your old life. You're not lost because you know the way home. There's another hymn that we used to sing when I was a boy that's more fitting here. It says, I've wandered far away from God, but now I'm coming home. The past of sin too long I've trod, but now I'm coming home. Coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open wide your arms of love, Lord, I'm coming home. If you're lost this morning, if you've never known what it's like to be a part of God's family and you long to be in the fold, just cry out to the Lord today. And the good shepherd will find you and he will pick you up and he will carry you home. He will carry you into the fold. Jesus has already paid your debt. He's already bought you and written your name into his book of life. Don't allow the devil to steal that from you anymore. But call on Jesus and let him lead you home. But if you're a runaway, you need to come to your senses. You need to take responsibility for your actions, responsibility for your rebellion, and repent and come back home to the Father. So the invitation today is really two or even threefold. It's to those who chose sin over the Savior to somehow let a light go on in your mind and realize what you're doing. You're choosing hell. It's to those who are lost and want to be found. And to those who have rebelled and just ran away. One of those 
is probably you. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to your heart. And do what God tells you to do. Father, I thank you today for your word. And God, I thank you for the way that your word is practical. Your word hits us where we live. God, you, you speak words that are thousands of years old in the scripture, and yet they are like they were written this morning because they so interact with the life that we have. Father, I pray that as we go to this time of invitation, God, when we open the altar, an opportunity for people to come to you, God, that we'll take advantage of the moment. You won't always be here to call us, God. You won't always be beckoning. Your, your spirit won't always be convicting or, or always inviting us. But God, you are today. And God, might we be obedient to that call. Take advantage of the opportunity, the open door. The shepherd is reaching out his hand. God, might we take a hold of that hand and come home to you. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.